Uh, good morning, guys. We are continuing our series today uh, called The Choice Is Yours. As Americans, we love choices. That's why when we go to the store, there's like 10 of the same thing, but they're just a little bit different. That actually sort of paralyzes me. I don't like that. My wife asked me to pick something up at the store, and I'm just so like, oh my goodness, I'm going to get the wrong one. I know it. I don't know which one to get, right, because of all the choices that are there. But in general, we really do like choices. And I love Jim's message last week that we can make a choice to not be offended, right, by everything that someone says to us or everything that someone does to us. We can choose to not be offended, And we don't need to be victims of the circumstances of our lives. And today is going to be a similar type message. We're talking about discouragement. The title of our message today is, I can choose to not be discouraged. And you know, know, if I were to ask you guys the question, have you ever been discouraged? That's sort of a silly question, right? Because the answer is, of course, we all have, right? That's like asking, have you ever seen snow in April in Indiana? right? The answer is like, of course we have. We live in Indiana. Or if I say, have you ever seen more snow in April than you saw in January? He would say, of course. Like, yeah, like we lived through this year in Indiana, right? And uh, so it's kind of crazy to say, have you ever been discouraged, right? You would say, yeah, of course I've been discouraged, Pastor John. Like, I watch the evening news and I'm watching the political coverage of the president, presidential you know, campaign and it's discouraging, you know, when I'm, when I'm watching or, or saying, of course, I get, of course I get discouraged, John. Like, like American Idol is over, like forever. It's over, right? And my dream of becoming a music industry sensation died on Thursday night. And, you know, there's a rumor that I shed a tear or two and it might be true. I'm not going to say, but you know what? Man, I, I thought I had something. I thought I had a gift I wanted to share with the world. And now my opportunity to share it is gone. You know, if I say, have you ever been discouraged? You would say, yeah, of course. We've all been discouraged. Sometimes we go through seasons of discouragement. Sometimes we just have sort of moments of discouragement. Something just kind of comes at us really quick. Maybe one of the most one of the most discouraging seasons of my life and for Tara and I was when we moved here to Goshen 11 years ago. Not because we moved here, we liked the town, and, and not because the staff that I get to work with, they're okay. But we were discouraged because here we were, we were moving from a place where we knew everybody, where our community and our church, we knew everyone, everyone knew us, and we're moving to a place where we didn't know anybody. And we felt very lonely for a long period of time so we could build some good friendships and relationships. And we were moving at a place here. I was taking on this new job uh, at Grace here. And man, I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't know, you know, what my role was on the team and, and who I was, you know, who everybody was. And it was overwhelming some days. And we had little kids at that time. We had uh, two little ones and we had one more on the way. And, and so busy at home, right? Lots of activity and lots of stuff going on, you know, in that age group when you have toddlers and and uh, it's funny, we, we were having this conversation. Elisha was about to be born. I think Tara was like, do like any day or do in a week. And I was leaving. It was a Saturday morning. I was going to play basketball and, uh, uh, for, a, for a church league team. And she's like, you know, do you think you want to keep playing? You know, we got two kids. We got one more coming. It seems like, you know, it'd be great to have you around, you know, when you, as often as you can and that kind of thing. We're having this conversation. She's not super thrilled, you know, that, that I'm going to play ball. And then literally that game uh, was over at Jimtown High School playing in church league. I tear my ACL in my, in my left leg. And so when I come home, I'm like, um, you know, I had to get driven home by somebody in our, in our team, Brent Stevens. Tara's not like, oh, I'm so sorry that happened, you know. It's like, it's like I told you not to play, you know. And, and so Tara, you know, then Elisha's born like a week later, and then I have surgery like a week after that, and I'm on crutches. And man, it was a hard time in our lives. You know, Tara has three preschoolers plus an adolescent husband on crutches. It's just like really hard. And there were some days, I'm being honest, some days I'd come home and Tara's just in tears. And then there were a lot of days where I would join her. That was a hard season in our lives. Just getting through all those obstacles, navigating a new life here in Indiana and all the differences and and, uh, the nuances of our church and figuring that stuff out, being parents of multiple kids. You know, we had three. We couldn't, you know, kind of go man to man anymore. We had to play a zone defense and Man, that's hard to figure out when you're just getting into it 
in the beginning. And those were hard times. Sometimes you just go through a season like that where you're just like, oh, is this ever going to end? And then and there's other times where it just kind of hits you out of nowhere. Something happens. You lose your job one day. You're like, what? Right? Or you get some news at the doctor. You're like, what? Last Friday night was one of those nights. Tara and I were sitting and we were talking and this, this wave of emotion just hit me all of a sudden as I began to think about my dad. My dad has been struggling with his health for about a year and a half now. In the last 18 months, he's been diagnosed with Parkinson's, with diabetes, and now just recently with something called spinal stenosis, where his, his spine is kind of crunching down on his nerves and he's lost use of his hands and his legs. And he had this really serious surgery last Wednesday to try to relieve some of that pressure on his spine and be able to use, be able to regain use. And so now he's living at a rehab center where he's trying to relearn how to walk and how to use his hands and those kinds of things. And I'm sitting through thinking about this and I'm just like, man, this is a new season for my mom and for my dad. It's a new season for us as their kids. I'm thinking about my kid, my kids who are their grandkids and what this means for them and the relationships and all this stuff. And man, this this wave of emotion just hit me last Friday night where I began to become discouraged. Sometimes it hits us in a moment. Sometimes it's in a season. But life is like that. It's just hard. And things seem to pile up sometimes all at once. And I'm sure that you can relate. So I'm not going to ask you, have you ever been discouraged? Because I know that we all have. But how do we not stay there? How do we get out of that pit of discouragement when we stumble into it? Is it really true that, that we can choose to not be discouraged? And I, and I want to say, yes, it is. Yes, it absolutely is. Thankfully, we're not the only ones who have fallen into this pit of discouragement. There are lots of examples from Scripture, including one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, a man named Elijah. We're going to take a look at his life today. And and as you'll see in a moment, he had fallen so far into the pit of discouragement that he was asking the Lord to take his life. That's how discouraged he was. Turn your Bibles to 1 Kings. We're going to look at 1 Kings chapters 17, 18, 19. We're going to kind of dance around those three a little bit today. 1 Kings 17, 18, 19. If you don't have a Bible, we have ushers in all the rooms passing those out. Raise your hand. They'd love to be able to give you one. And that's our gift to you to take home so that you can have your own copy of the Scripture. And bring it back with you next week when you come. I call Elijah one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. There were lots of great prophets but, but he was definitely one, one of the greatest. In fact, if you remember in the New Testament, Jesus is on a mountain with his disciples and he's there with this kind of three inner circle, James, Peter, and John. And, uh, and all of a sudden, Jesus kind of gets enveloped by this cloud and there's this transfiguration that takes place. His body changes and then all of a sudden, these two people are there with him. And if you remember, those two people were Moses and this guy, Elijah. And so he was, a, he was a pretty important cat in the Old Testament. And uh, so here he is. We're going to read about him uh, today in 1 Kings. Now we're just going to read 1 Kings 19, 3 to 9. Would you guys stand up and read with me? 1 Kings 19, verses 3 through 9. All right, here we go. Ready? Read. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. Have a seat. Thanks for reading along there with us today. As you see, this great prophet of God was also very, very, very human. 
very much like us. And one of the things that I love about the scriptures, and I mention this all the time if I'm teaching upstairs, and I'll even mention it down here when I'm teaching here, is that one of the things I love about the scriptures is how real the people are. Sometimes we think and we kind of get into our mind this wrong idea that, these, that the biblical characters, these saints in the scriptures, were like perfect people. I mean, they really were a lot like us. Sometimes they got it right, and sometimes they got it wrong. And that really is like my life. And I imagine it's like yours too. And so I love that it shows us this great man of God in this condition where he is begging God to take his life. And that is important for us to understand as we get started today talking about encouragement or discouragement. Because it is very possible for a good man or a good woman to get into a very bad place. It's very possible for a good man or a good woman to get into a very bad place. Sometimes we get stuck sort of thinking, if that's us and we're in a very dark place, we think, what's wrong with me? You know, why am I acting this way? I'm a believer in Jesus. Why am I so discouraged? It's possible for a very good man very good woman to get into a very bad place. Sometimes we're tempted to look at someone else and think, man, why are they so discouraged? Oh, I, you know, they're not, where's their faith at? And I'm just going to say again, it's very possible for a good man or woman to get into a very bad place. Here's Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, in a very dark, bad place. But help, let, me, let me help make some distinctions for you, because that's not where we want to be, even though we sometimes all will get there. That's not where we want to be. So let me help you understand a couple of differences. Let me define a disappointment this way. Disappointment is an emotional response to some failed expectation, hope, or desire. You and I all get disappointed. We get disappointed when something doesn't go the way that we thought it was going to go. When something doesn't happen quite the way we thought, it could be as simple as an evening that you had planned for your family, a day at work that you had lined up, you're going to do these things, and you get there, and you don't get any of those things done because life sort of happened there. Or, or you get home, and none of the stuff that you had planned happened because life happened there, right? Or maybe you look back at your life, and you're starting to kind of evaluate, I don't like the way my life is going, and you become disappointed. It's an emotional feeling. You're kind of like, ah, You're a student and you study really, really hard, as hard as you've ever studied for a test, and you still get the bad grade, the grade you didn't want. That's that's disappointing to us, right? And so a disappointment is an emotional response to some failed expectation, hope, or desire. When we're counting on someone to come through for us and they just don't come through, we get disappointed. Those are unavoidable and that is part of life. But by comparison, let's say that discouragement is a feeling of despair that we choose. And so I'm going to make a distinction between disappointment and discouragement. Discouragement is a feeling of despair that we choose. And there's a difference. Disappointments come. That's life. They're unavoidable. But when you and I decide to settle into a feeling of despair and look at everything in life through a dark lens... That's different. That's a choice that we are making to look at life through a spirit of discouragement. It's a feeling that we choose. That's when we say things like this. Well, that makes sense. I lost my job. Bosses never like me. Or we say things, um, uh, we say something like this. Man, nobody understands what I'm going through. Everyone else in life has it so much easier than I do. And we begin to look at look at our life and everything that's going on in our lives and everyone else's lives, not in a very rational state of mind, but in a very discouraged view where we look at everything through this lens of discouragement. What I want to say today, if you get nothing else, get this statement right here, is that while you and I can't choose our circumstances, you can choose to not be discouraged. You can choose to say, I'm not going to stay here in this discouragement. This is not going to define me. That deep sense of despair called discouragement is avoidable. We don't have to go there. Elijah did, though. Sometimes we do. 
Elijah chose to sink into that despair. Take a look at what's going on in his life. If you flip back to 17, chapter 17, verse 1, we're going to meet him there. It says, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord of God, Israel, uh, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So we need Elijah here, and he gets a message from God. That's what a prophet would do. And he would go and share it. And he shares it with the king of Israel, a guy named Ahab. Now what you and I need to know about Ahab is that he and his wife, Jezebel, are some of the most wicked people, wicked leadership that you will ever come across in the pages of history, scripture, wherever. Horrible, wicked people. They had taken the nation of Israel from following Jehovah God to worshiping other gods, Baal and Asherah. And some of the practices that they were part of their worshiping and their rituals were just wicked, detestable things. Uh, Sometimes they were very sexual in nature. Uh, Sometimes they would uh, injure themselves, self-mutilating. They would cut themselves, injure themselves as part of their worship to their God. Um, Sometimes uh, they would even go as far as to sacrifice humans or even children as a part of their worship to their God. And so Ahab and Jezebel were just wicked people that did not care for the true God. So when Elijah comes with this message to Ahab, he says, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, in other words, you don't, but I do, there will be no rain in the next few years except at my word. Now that's not going to make Elijah very popular because the message is no rain. And that's a critical detail because the nation of Israel was an agricultural uh, industry. That was their major economy as a nation. And I, I mean, I didn't go to Purdue or anything, but I know that you need rain to grow crops, right? You, you, need, you need rain to, to, to grow things. And so when, it, when St. Elijah says that there's not going to be any rain for a period of years, he becomes very, very un popular. In fact, he has to go and run. He becomes the scapegoat for this message and becomes a hunted man. And if you look down to chapter 18, verse 1, we find out for how long. It says, after a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. And so for how long was there no rain on the land? Three years three years. So for three years, Elijah is in hiding. Elijah's not even, if you would read chapter 17, he's not even in Israel. He's, he's hiding. He has to go away, has to hide his face, and isn't allowed to, to even be close for three years. I mean, I would get lonely when I was a kid. If I didn't eat my fish sticks, I'd just sit at the dinner table for two or three hours by myself till I would eat them, right? That was very lonely. I couldn't imagine doing it for three years, although I would have. I would not eat fish sticks, all right? When I was a kid, we have them every single week. I don't know what my parents were thinking, all right? I tried ketchup. I mean, I tried hair gel. I tried whatever to cover up the taste. It tasted really bad, all right? But I couldn't imagine being on the run and being in trouble and being hunted for three years, what that would do to a person, And that's what happened to Elijah. The next time we pick up him meeting Ahab, let's pick up his meeting with Ahab in verse 16. Chapter 18, verse 16. Here's where he meets him. So Obadiah, who is somebody that worked for Ahab, that Elijah met and said, go tell Ahab, I'm going to meet with him. Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and then Ahab went to meet Elijah. Here's what Ahab says. Bad news when this is the king. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and you have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. In other words, we're going we're gonna to do this thing, Ahab, They meet, and here Ahab says, you are Israel's troubler. It's been three years with no rain. 
So things are really bad in the economy for a really long time, and everyone thinks it's Elijah's fault. That would be hard to face all those people who, who, who are without work and without jobs and struggling to support their family, and they are ticked to see you. I imagine that Elijah had several talks with God over those three years where he would say, this is not what I thought being Israel's prophet was going to be like. This is not what I thought I was signing up for. I mean, I, mean, I remember Genesis and Joseph, he wasn't even a prophet. He got a really cool coat. I don't get anything. I mean, I'm out here in the desert. I, I, I'm struggling to survive. I'm a wanted man. I'm hunted and I don't get anything. I, I thought I was going to be, you know, dispensing all this wisdom from you, God. I thought I was going to be somebody who's going to help people with great insight, not hiding out in the desert where nobody even knows what my job is or who I am. I think it's safe to assume that Elijah was probably a little disappointed with his life. And as he began to evaluate, it wasn't what he wanted it to be. But here this thing is about to go down. And by the way, we know that because he lets us into some of his thoughts where he just is in despair and says, I'm the only one who is serving the Lord. He says that over and over in these chapters. But here this thing is about to go down. He calls out Ahab and, and says, bring your prophets, 450 of them, you know, that worship Baal and 400 that worship Asherah. And we're going to meet on Mount Carmel. And God is going to give him this great chance to be vindicated. There's going to be this battle royal on the mountain, right? God versus Baal and Asherah. Elijah versus 850 prophets. That's what's going to go down. And Elijah, you know, is getting his hope up. He's kind of feeling maybe a little bit better about himself after these years all by himself. And and he's calling on some people. He wants to have some people with him. Because remember, he keeps saying over and over, I'm the only one who's serving you. He wants to draw more people over to his side. Take a look at verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people, what? said nothing. Elijah falls into a trap, I think, that most of us fall into when that gets us so discouraged. He, he's looking to people for his validation. He's looking to people to validate his life and his ministry. Over and over, he keeps saying, I'm the only one. Nobody's coming with me. Nobody's following me. And he's looking at people to validate him. And, and that's a trap that you and I fall into of why our lives, our emotional health sometimes is so up and down because we are looking for other people to validate us. And people are just up and down in their support. The people here said nothing. They said nothing. And we cannot rely on people to prop us up. We can't base our emotional health on other people, on relationships. And that's hard, I know, to not do that but we have to find our validation in our relationship with God. Otherwise, we will always be right around the corner from the pit of discouragement if we're looking for validation from people. But because of God and because of his validation for us, while we can't choose our circumstances, we can choose to not be discouraged. Well, maybe you know the story from there. Elijah then goes and meets the, the, the prophet's of Baal. They set up an altar. They put a sacrifice on it. And, uh, and they're going to call on their God to rain down fire out of the sky from heaven to light this sacrifice. And they try for hours and hours and hours. They do all kinds of things, dancing and cutting themselves and calling out and crying out to their God. And of course, he doesn't answer. He's not a real God. And then Elijah comes along. And uh, it's pretty cool what happens. Take a look at uh, verse... Uh, let's pick it up at verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell down and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and licked up all the water that was in the trench. Elijah had made the, fire, uh, the sacrifice in the wood very wet to get the point across that God could light anything, basically. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and they cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Same people that were just not even saying anything a few minutes ago and worshiping the other God. Now they're back on the team. Now they're back off the team. Now they're back on the team. Here they are. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. So they seized them and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. 
And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. In other words, the rain is coming. The rain is coming. So God comes through. Sacrifice, check. Killed the false prophets, check. Bring the rain back, check. All these things had happened for Elijah. God had come through. But that doesn't last long because Ahab reports what happened to the queen. And in verse 1 of chapter 19, we can read what takes place next. So Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, you're in trouble, dude. And this is where we picked up the story this morning when we started reading there in verse chapter 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left a servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And Elijah is afraid for his life and he is on the run again. Elijah is at a place in his life where he is just done. Verse 4 says he came to a broom bush. He sits down under it, which by the way gives no shade at all. He, he comes to this bush and he sits down under it and he prays that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He says, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and he fell asleep. Elijah is at a really bad place in his life. He is done. There are all kinds of things that, uh, that bring this kind of discouragement, this disappointment into our life. Financial pressures, relationship failures, relationship struggles, health concerns, physical exhaustion, all kinds of reasons that, that, that we can get to this place where Elijah has gotten. You have been there. I have been there. We've been to this place before. But how do we not stay there? Because what happens here next is when God begins to come on the scene again and he begins to teach Elijah something about life. Continue in verse 5 and look, see what happens. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some braked, bed, uh, braked I'm sorry, bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he laid down again. God comes on the scene. And, and what I want to point out today, uh, what I want to help us see are a couple of things that God does to help Elijah get out of this pit of discouragement. Let's call these four practical steps to get out of this pit of discouragement. And the first one is this. Sometimes to get out of the pit of discouragement, we have to reorganize our lives for health. You got to reorganize your life for health. Elijah was just spent. He was so wasted. The first thing the angel does for him is comes and provides a meal and some rest. Now, this wasn't like the old country buffet. It was bread on hot coals and some water. But it was what he needed. It was a meal. There was some food out of nowhere. Sometimes we, are so, we get so discouraged so quickly because we are running ourselves into the ground. And, and when we are going full speed for long stretches of our lives, we are so easily discouraged. One wrong thing happens, and man, we're done. We're toast. We're on the ground like a preschooler having a tantrum with God, right? Because we're just in, and sometimes we need to reorganize our lives for health. It's amazing sometimes. It seems like a simple thing that the angel did for him. But isn't it amazing? Sometimes you, get a, you have a bad day, and if you're able to hold it together and not freak out about what's happening, you get a meal, you get a hot shower, and you get a night of rest, how different your perspective is in the morning. The Lord's grace is, is so good for us. And sometimes that's what we need, is just to be able to take some care, give ourselves some care, reorganize our lives for health. 
It's amazing what a meal, a shower, and a night of rest can do for our perspective. It's even more amazing what can happen to your perspective when you have a consistent, healthy plan for living. Good amounts of rest, a good diet, a good plan for fitness, and some downtime in your schedule. It does a lot when it comes to fighting discouragement, when it comes to fighting this feeling of despair that can be overwhelming. I don't know what the disciplines are in your life, but for me, those things right there, if, if I'm not getting the right amount of rest, if I'm not exercising regularly, if I'm not spending time with God regularly, just spending time with him and listening to him and opening up his word and kind of taking evaluation of my life, man, do I get out of whack. We have to get those things in place for us to have consistent uh, health and be able to stay out of this pit of discouragement. And you know, we're passing this to our kids. Research shows that we're raising a generation that is the most stressed out ever. And one of the major reasons research shows is because we're modeling a life that has no margin and we're doing the same for our kids. We're signing them up for lives without any downtime. Activity, 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 activity. Sometimes it's hard for us to say no. Sometimes we're the ones pushing our kids to do all these things. And our lives need breaks. We need rhythms. We need times of busy stress and times without stress. Times to recoup and relax, refresh and refuel. We need to reorganize our lives for health. We need balance. Otherwise, we are on the edge of discouragement, ready to fall in at a moment's notice when a simple disappointment comes our way. The second thing that uh, God teaches Elijah, not only does he need to reorganize his life for some health, number two, he needed to resolve to trust God's good plan. That word resolve, I'm stealing that from my wife, Tara. She's using that as one of her words for this year, that she is resolved to trust God's good plan. See what happens uh, next in verse 8, chapter 19. So Elijah got up and he ate and he drank. He drank and he was strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant and torn down your altars. Put your prophets to death with the sword. And here's, here's what he says again. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. God reminds him that he needs to trust his plan. You need to come and meet with me, Elijah. You need to come and talk with me. You need to come and be reminded of my promises and my plan for your life. We were in this conference this weekend um, called Empowering to Connect. Had a number of parents from all, from all over the area that came to, for it. We hosted it in the link. And one of the things that we talked about over and over there, uh, one of the concepts was the idea that we need to, when our kids are, are unregulated, are, are just out of control, crazy, we as parents, is, our job is to help them sort of regulate them. We get them calmed down. We get them centered. And then over the years of their lives, they grow up from little to older. We teach them how to self-regulate, how to regulate themselves, how to keep themselves calm, how to, how to figure out social settings and that kind of thing. But when, when they're little, we do it all for them, right? When, they're, when you have a baby, when your baby cries, right, and, and is fussy and is, you know, not regulated, basically, you figure out what's wrong. You feed it, right? You feed him or her. You, you give them warmth. You hold them. You, you change them. You do all those things to help regulate them. That's what you do. And as they get older, you, you work with them to teach them how to do that. God is like that for us. We need to be in his presence to be regulated. We need to be in his presence to have that peace, that calm that he is the only one who can bring. And so God brings Elijah into his presence and he reminds him of some things that he needs to be reminded of. What are you doing here? And you're going to see, I'm going to open up here later as he begins to meet with him and he begins to stand in his presence. But for now, let me just point out, there are some promises that Elijah had forgotten about, but that we need to remember so we don't fall into this pit of discouragement. 
Sometimes we, we have these disappointments that come into our lives and to keep us from falling into that pit, that season of despair, or to pull ourselves out, you got to remind yourself of some real, real important truths from the scripture. Number one, that God loves you. In other words, God does not hate you. Sometimes, sometimes we think, man, why is this happening to me? God must hate me. God, what have I done wrong? Or why doesn't God care about me? No, no, God loves you. Believe that, resolve to trust that. Number two, that God is in control and has a plan. In other words, life's events aren't random. Life isn't just happening to you. No, you're not being tossed around by some ocean of chance. No, things that happen are on purpose and part of God's plan. You need to resolve to trust that God is in control and has a plan for your life. And whatever the situation you find yourself in, it's part of God's plan to shape you into the son or the daughter that he wants you to be. A third promise is that no situation is impossible for God to turn around. No situation. We just celebrated Easter a couple weeks ago where we celebrate the fact that we believe that God literally raised his son from the dead. That's pretty, that's pretty incredible. And if we believe that God can raise someone back from the dead, then we have to believe that God can turn a relationship around. If God can bring his son back from the dead, then we have to believe that God can heal your sickness. God can heal your problems at work. If God can bring his son back from the dead, then there is no situation that is impossible for him to turn around. And you can hang on to that hope even in the darkest moment that you're walking through. God, uh, no situation is impossible for God. And here's a fourth promise to hang on to in a dark time in your life. You, if you have a relationship with Christ, have a home in heaven. And so no matter what you're facing today, one day you will be in heaven looking back at whatever you're going through today. And I don't know that you'll be laughing, like, oh, you remember that time? Maybe you will. I imagine there'll be lots of times we sort of do that. But you will look back and you will see how God was faithful to you then. And, and the things that are, that are in this world that aren't going very right won't matter much anymore, right? A hundred years from now, you won't even worry about the things you're facing today. The huge insurmountable, you know, bills or huge insurmountable problems or huge insurmountable stresses that you're facing today, think about this. In 100 years, you won't even worry about those things. You'll be in heaven and you'll be okay. And so we need to resolve in the midst of whatever we're facing that we can trust God's good plan. Here's the third thing that Elijah gets, uh, God points out to Elijah. Number three, surround yourself with the right people. That's so critical. Putting the right people around your, around your life so that when, when, when life isn't going well, you're not, you're not just going to fall off the edge. You're going to be propped up and helped to stand up. Surround yourself with the right people. Take a look at what God says to him, verse 15. The Lord said to him, Elijah, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, from Abel Moola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel. Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. And then Elijah, listen, buddy. I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. In other words, Elijah, you are not alone and you've never been alone. Sometimes we think no one understands my life. Nobody else struggles with things I struggle with. I'm all by myself. And God's saying, Elijah, no, you're not. I've kept back 7,000 people just like you who have not worshipped Baal and who have been faithful to me. So get up, go get yourself some help. Go anoint this guy king. Go get Elisha to succeed you, to work with you in the ministry of prophet, uh, the prophet ministry. Go get a team. Get some people around you that are going to help you. And we need to get the right people around us if we're going to stay out of the pit of despair. 
Now, we can get into trouble when we look for people, to people for validation. Only God can give us that. But we can also get into trouble when we pull away from those who can help us. That's what Elijah did. He went all by himself out into the desert. And that's what we do. We pull away from people. Sometimes we do it to see if they'll miss us, to see if they'll even miss that we're gone. That's so silly. Sometimes we pull away from people who, who won't agree with the wrong that we want to do. We don't want to hear about it, so we don't want to be around those people. We'll pull away from them. Sometimes we pull away from those who love us most because we want to feel sad. We just want to wallow in our despair. But we need to put the right people around us. Sometimes that happens naturally. Sometimes it doesn't. You need to make a choice to be intentional about putting the right people around you. You need to look for some people that you can put in your life who you know are going to help pull you forward. Something that someone taught me early on in my adult life when I was like 20, 21, 22, was that they said I should always try to have people in my life that are further along than I am, that I'm learning from. Someone that I can go to and ask questions about how to be a husband, how to be a dad. For me, how to be a pastor. For you, it's different. Uh, And then always have people in your life that you're also pulling along. People that you're pouring into and that you're pulling along that aren't as far along as you. And so we need to have people in our lives that are going to be the right kind of people for us. And we need to be intentional about those relationships. So have you been intentional about joining a small group? Having a group of friends that are around you that are pushing you towards Christ, that are praying with you and carrying your concerns with you. We have hundreds of people that are going to be in small groups today at Grace all over the counties. Are you on a serving team? Are you plugged in somewhere so that people know you and you know people? So that if you are missing, it will get noticed. So that you're, you're in a place where you've put on the jersey and you're a part of the team here at Grace. You're not just coming and sitting. You're, you need to put some people around you that are the right kind of people. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe, maybe it's not so much putting people around you. Maybe it's backing off some relationships of people that are negative. People that are negative for you. Maybe they're discouraging people to be around or maybe they're kind of drawing you into the wrong things that you're trying to kind of walk away from. You need to sort of put some boundaries on how much influence those people have on you. Throttle it back so they aren't regulating your emotional health instead of Christ. But we need to get the right people around us. Fourth, you need to take your attention off of you and serve others. One of the best things that you and I can do when we're in a season of discouragement or despair is to serve other people. One of the things that we can, because what happens when we get discouraged, we start looking at ourselves. We start seeing all of our problems. We start seeing everything that's going wrong in our lives. And it becomes very, very, very me-focused, very, very self-focused, very selfish. And God didn't wire us that way. God wired you to serve. God wired you to give your life away. Like I said earlier, you have somebody in your life that is pushing you and helping you, but you also have relationships in your life where you're pouring into somebody else. There's groups of men in my life that I go to for advice. I go to for help. I meet with them and they mentor and they help me. But then there's groups of men in my life that I'm pulling along, that I'm saying, come on, you can be a better husband. You can be a better dad. Meet with me. I'll I'll help you. Let's talk through this. We need people that we're pouring into. We got to get ourselves um, focused off of ourselves and on to other people. Look how God does it in Elijah's life. Verse 19 of chapter 19. So Elijah went from there. He found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. He himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him, which meant, hey, I'm going to mentor you. You're going to become a prophet like me. And as we read that story, you see what happens. Elijah began to pour himself into the next prophet of God. We need to pour ourselves into others. We need to serve. We need to give our lives away, get the attention off of us, and put it onto someone else. Sometimes one of the side benefits of doing that is that you'll begin to see that, you know what? As you get involved in someone else's life, you'll realize that you're not the only person with problems. When you put your attention on someone else, you begin to see their problems. You begin to see that, you know what? Mine aren't so bad. 
as you get involved in other people's lives, you begin to say, you know what? I actually prefer my set of problems over their set of problems, right? When, when, I, when, I, when my kids were young, uh, when my three big kids were younger, and we used to watch a lot of PBS, which we're back in those days now, but we are watching PBS. There's a show on PBS called Caillou. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the result. That, that was what I thought I would hear. Yeah, you know, Caillou, we used to call them Cryu in our house. Oh, my goodness, my wife and I could not stand by our kids. Unfortunately, liked watching this show. And if you don't know Caillou, he would just whine. He had a gift, a spiritual gift of whining. It was just his voice was so, so annoying to listen to, right? But you know what? Here's the positive thing about watching Caillou once a week or whatever it was. I used to say to myself, hey, at least I'm not his dad, right? (laughs) At least I'm not his dad, right? Sometimes when we pour ourselves into other people, we get ourselves, our eyes off of ourselves for a little bit. We begin to realize, hey, my life is not that bad. My problems are not as bad as I thought they were. Someone else has it worse than me. So we need to take our attention off of ourselves. Elijah gets back to doing what he's supposed to be doing, which is being a prophet and raising up this next generation of prophets and begins to pour into Elisha. You can't choose your circumstances, but you can choose to not be discouraged. Let me wrap up with this. Sometimes we think that if God doesn't come through for us the way that we're asking, that somehow he's failing us. And that's just not true. That's just not true. Sometimes we can only see one side of the matter. We don't have the full picture like God does. That's where we resolve to trust God's good plan, right? Because God does have a good plan. Elijah saw this great, incredible miracle that God did on Mount Carmel, where he rains down fire from heaven. He destroys that sacrifice. Awesome, awesome miracle. And Elijah's pumped. But then the very next day, he's low again, because now Jezebel wants to kill him, and things aren't going right in his life again. And he's right back down where he was before the events of the day before. Elijah wanted God to show up his power every single day. Immediately after God's incredible display, he's back in the pit of despair. But God is such a gracious, incredible teacher. And so he takes Moses, or I'm sorry, he takes Elijah on this field trip where he takes him to this cave, right? And you, you remember, you see what happened? We, um, 19 and uh, let's go to verse 11 where he says, Go and stand out on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And some of you guys know this, what happens. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. Again, powerful, destroying stuff. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Why? Because that whisper, that was where God was. And God said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? In a whisper. Sometimes we are looking for God to do the incredible, to do the miraculous to do the powerful, to do the fire and the earthquake, that we miss his whispers. And he is involved in your life and in my life every single day. His favor, his blessing is on you. He's at work behind the scenes in your life. And you are just begging God for this big miracle that you expect him to do on your timing and when you want it and the way you want it, that you miss the whisper of God. God doesn't always come in the big, the miraculous, and the powerful. God often comes in the whisper. And we need to miss it, not miss it. See, here's, here's, here's the bottom line that we have to understand. You and I face disappointments, and we're looking for God to come through with the big fire of immediate healing or immediate blessing or immediately, immediate prosperity. And there's a lot of teaching out there that claims to be Christian that really is not Christ-centered at all. That somehow God will bless you and take away anything negative from your life. 
Sometimes that's just not God's plan to come through with a big fire of immediate healing or immediate blessing or immediate, immediate prosperity. What would happen if you and I would simply be okay with that? What would happen if you and I would be okay with the fact that God has a bigger plan than my personal comfort or my personal safety? That God may actually allow things to come into my life that aren't very comforting and are not very convenient and aren't very safe to meet a greater purpose, to serve a bigger purpose than just my life. We can be okay with that and then we don't get discouraged even when those disappointments come. Jesus said, you will have trouble. That's gonna come. But we don't need to be swept away into the pit of discouragement. When disappointments come our way, we can choose to not be discouraged because we know that there's a God who is in control and he has a great plan to love us and bless us in his time in the way that he sees fit. You and I can accept that my happiness is not my life goal and my happiness is not Jesus' goal as he plans out my life. God has a plan that is bigger, that's richer, and that is much deeper than just my simple happiness. We can trust him. He is good and he is in control. You and I can't choose our circumstances this week, but you and I can choose to not be discouraged. Lord Jesus, we need your help to do this. We need strength, Lord, from you. God, it's easy to to focus just on ourselves and focus on all the things that are going wrong in our lives and miss the blessings. It's easy to, to just beg and beg and look for the big and look for the powerful and look for the miraculous. And God, you tell us to pray for that. And so we do pray for that. But Lord, help us to, to not miss your gentle whispers in the midst, to not, to not miss your blessing and your favor that you put in our lives. God, I pray for those that today are discouraged, Lord, and are feeling in the pit of despair and are feeling far from you and, and like you're not hearing them and, and you are missing in their lives. God, I pray that you would open their ears, Lord, to hear your whisper. I pray, Lord, that you would be as loving as you were to Elijah when you got down on your knees like a father does with his preschool son or daughter and, and just whispers, I love you, I'm here. I'm right here. God, I pray that uh, you would whisper that into our ears today. Holy Spirit, that you would come and be the comforter that we need, the counselor that we need. Come into our lives and, uh, and God, we give you complete control. Have freedom, Lord, to just work in us your plan for your will, whatever it is. We're your followers. We're not the leaders, you are. And so God, we're trusting you. In your name we pray, amen.